verses 12 and following. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Michael. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19 in the ESV version. This says 983. Probably is. Okay, page 983. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, that's excellent. You must be doing a good job here, Michael. That's all I could say. Well, it's nice to be bringing God's word to to you this morning. Sorry, it's a slightly different version, but um, you can't have everything. But keep your eye on the on the on the passages up here if you don't mind. That might help. The passage before us today is all about, at verse 16, suffering as a Christian. But actually, the whole letter was written against the background of persecution. Think of chapter 2, verse 18, where Christian slaves might suffer at the hands of their owners. Um, or chapter 3, verse 13, where Peter talks about suffering for righteousness' sake. And in both cases, he appeals to the example of Jesus as the model for how Christians should react. And also, he repeatedly encourages his readers who face persecution to live in ways which bring credit and not shame to the name of Christ. And actually, last week's passage also addressed issues relating to suffering, especially how Christians should love and support one another 
in the storm. And so in our passage today, Peter sums up in one section what he wants to say about suffering as a Christian. He says, therefore, and at the end of his little section, he says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good things. Now, just in case you think we're getting lost in this passage, which never happens, <clears throat> I'm going to give you five main points. One, don't be surprised. Jesus warned us that it would come. Two, see it as a test to help us and to grow. Three, remember there is a day coming full of joy and gladness in the presence of our Lord Jesus. So keep your eyes on Jesus when things get tough. And four, draw strength from the spirit of glory and of God that rests upon us. We are not alone. And five, entrust your souls to the faithful creator and continue to do good. Now I start with a question. It's a rhetorical question, but it's important that we think about it. Have you suffered on account of your faith? I just, I don't mean the occasional jibe or sling, sling off or whatever. I mean real, painful, costly hardship. Has that actually ever happened to you? Perhaps it might involve unbelieving family members or the loss of friends. And these can be heartbreaking. But remember when the New Testament talks about suffering as a Christian, it usually means physical violence and even death. And this kind of suffering could be at the hands of the governing powers or from the mob. Now we in this country, oh, I actually don't forget that Peter, who wrote this letter, was soon to be crucified. And Paul was also soon to be beheaded, both at the hands of the Roman Emperor Nero. So that's, the, that's what we're dealing with when Peter talks about suffering. Now we in this country, up until now, have not had to face that kind of danger. And that means that sometimes when we read passages like this, we might think, 
Oh, yes. But that's not going to happen to us here. That sort of thing happens in Muslim countries or communist countries, but not in places that have been shaped by Christian principles. So it's all a bit hypothetical for us. Now, I know that's why what many of you think, because what I think and have thought. But don't be so sure. As Western countries move more and more away from their Christian roots, they are becoming more and more hostile to Christianity. And there is absolutely no reason why this trend won't lead our society to turn against us or our children or our grandchildren. A case can be made for saying or for seeing this developing trend already in our country. The media and the so-called community organisations who know so much are already turning on Christianity and Christians in particular, simply for standing up for what they believe. Let me give you some examples. What about the Manly Warringah football players who, for religious reasons, refused to play if they had to wear symbols supporting homosexuality? Do you remember that? And they were, and as a punishment, they were not even allowed to watch the game from the stands. Do you remember that? And what about Andrew Thorburn, former CEO of the NAB, so he was a pretty substantial figure. He was sacked as an, the Essendon CEO the day after he was appointed, do you know, do you remember why? Because he attended an Anglican church in Melbourne which had posted sermons online upholding biblical teachings on homosexuality and abortions. He was sacked because he belonged to a church that believed that. Well, if he worked in, if he lived in this church, he would have got sacked as well. Only a few days ago, literally, the Northern Territory government passed a law that takes away the right of religious schools not to employ teachers who are atheists or members of another religion. Did you notice that one? In response, the Roman Catholic Bishop of Darwin, Charles Gauci, said that he will consider closely the future of all 18 Catholic schools in the Northern Territory. And he said, and I quote, denying such schools the right to ensure that their belief system is upheld by employing the right people 
is a violation of religious freedom. And only yesterday on the ABC News, it said that the ACT government is proposing to do the same thing. I heard recently and read in the paper of a new group that is now campaigning to take away tax concessions from religious charities. And by the way, religious char charities are the biggest non-government provider of support in the community that there is. And it will soon, won't be long because they are coming after Christian churches and their financial position as well. Watch that space. And as for the media, well, last month there was an article in the Weekend Australian of all papers, conservative paper like that, which spoke about young people turning off Christianity in the name of so-called kindness, tolerance, equality and fairness. And it said they're turning on Christianity. The author, asked, the author asked, do modern church movements of the kind that led Thorburn and the breakaway Anglican movement, the Diocese of the Southern Cross, that's the diocese that was set up when Michael and I went to Canberra for the GAFCON conference in August, embody these values. She said, I quote, younger generations in this community are coming for Christian fundamentalism. That's a swear word, you know. And all this in the name of anti-discrimination, toleration, and inclusiveness. The question is, what is to stop these trends from developing into more extreme and violent action against Christians who refuse to toe the line into so-called modern thinking? Remember, the Nazis were elected, elected to power in Germany less than, less than nine years before I was born, so it's not that long ago because I'm so young. They, were, they came to power and, you know, I have been to Germany many times and on a few occasions I have vis visited... Dachau concentration camp. Anybody been to Dachau? Yes, a few. Well, I'll tell you about Dachau. It was the first concentration camp that the Nazis built, just outside of Munich. And it was built in order to put in, in there political 
and religious leaders who are opposing the system. And all that in Germany, one of the most sophisticated Christian countries in Europe. So don't think bad things can't happen here. Look at the opening of our passage. Beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. So why shouldn't we be surprised? Well, listen to the words of the Lord Jesus himself in John chapter 15, verse 18. Quote, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And if, the, and if you were in the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have called you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That comes from the top, from Jesus himself. And why is this so? Listen again, John 3.19. Jesus said, This is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their deed should be exposed. Humanity as a whole has rejected God and everything that he stands for, so it's not surprising that when he, they see people seeking to live his way, they will resent it, and in some cases turn on those who show them up for what they are. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. To put it bluntly, that is what we signed up for when we turned to Jesus as our Saviour. The hostility that they showered upon him they could well turn on those who follow him. But in the meantime, and secondly, there is something else we had to think about if and when dark times come upon us. And that is seen in that little word up there, tucked in, in verse 12, Behold, he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Just as Jesus was tested in the wilderness and at his trial and all the rest of it, so we are tested. Why? In order to see the genuineness of our faith and in order for us to be strengthened 
for the task. Hebrews 12 verse 3 put it this way. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He goes on, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, but have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Quote, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, here it is, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. And then there's James 1.12. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Obviously, when we are tested, be it mild or severe, we are to look to the Lord for strength. And that help is available to us. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted in the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Or as Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation or testing has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond your ability. But with the testing, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So yes, Persecution is a test of the strength of our faith in him. Now here's a hard saying from our passage, verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may be glad when his glory is revealed. That's a hard verse. I confess, I don't understand how people who are being persecuted can rejoice. I guess you have to be in the situation to know. But what this verse does say is that whenever we do face the fiery trial or suffering of any kind, be it sickness or other things, what will, will uphold us 
in those situations is the promise of verse 13. What does it say? You will also rejo rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. In other words, we must always try to live our lives in this present time with our eyes firmly fixed on the future. Paul said, Romans 8, 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy of, to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. Think of Stephen, the first Christian to die for his faith. And when they were actually stoning him to death, Acts 7, 55, 6, he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In times of stress and trial, the only thing that will uphold you is to turn your eyes upon Jesus. I found that very much relevant to me when my first wife died. I was a shattered person. And as I was struggling with the grief of all that, I have to tell you the only thing that helped me, or the thing that helped me the most was reading the Gospels every day, the stories of Jesus. Somehow when I read those Gospel stories, my heart lifted and I was reminded, I don't know why I'm going through this, but if Jesus is in charge and he's like that, I'm okay. Listen to the writer to the Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is the examples of faith he's already mentioned, let us lay aside the every weight and the sin which kings cling so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. We need to be thinking more and more of Jesus and the joy that is set before us if we're going to stand against those who attack us. And that's what Peter is getting at in this passage. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, Christ, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. 
And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? There is a day coming which for those of us who love Jesus will triumph. So keep your eye on that wonderful, glorious day when we will see Jesus as he is and we will be like him. But in the meantime, what does Peter tell us? We have the spirit of glory resting on us to help us. So let us say with Paul that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will come to us. Take a breath. So far, we have seen that we should not be surprised when the world hates us because they hated Jesus also. Then we should see these things as a test to build us up and to show the genuineness of our faith. Also, in the midst, we have seen that in the midst of suffering, and as I say, this applies to sufferings not only of persecution, but of all the bad things that can happen to us, we should look to the great day of glory when we shall share in the glory of Christ and all his saints. So finally, we come to the question, what are we meant to do when we face the fiery trial, if that should come? Verse 19 of our passage, Therefore, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That is exactly what our Lord did on the cross. What did he say? Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And remember, he did that just after he welcomed the penitent thief into the kingdom. So there you have it. Peter's big picture approach to the problem of persecution. One, don't be surprised. Jesus warned you that it would come. Two, see it as a test to help us grow. Three, remember there is a day coming full of the joy and gladness in the presence of our Lord Jesus. So keep your eye on Jesus. Four, draw strength from the spirit of glory and of God that rests upon us. We are not alone in this. And five, entrust your soul to a faithful creator and continue to do good things.
Let me finish this reflection on suffering with the immortal words of St Paul. Romans 8, 35. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or famine or distress or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you.